Well, we heard this song that uh, Tony read from us for us from the book of Isaiah. If you were listening closely or if you were following along in the Pew Bible, you would notice a big shift happens between chapter 5 and chapter 11. I want to s repeat the um, scripture to you, but I'm going to read it from the version called The Message. The author is the late um, pastor and theologian um, Eugene Phillips. And I find his version of the Bible very easy to understand. And so if it's easier for you to listen and, and focus by closing your eyes, feel free to do that. Goes like this. And again, this is the prophet Isaiah singing a ballad on behalf of God to God's people. I'll sing a ballad to the one I love, a love ballad about his vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard, a fine, well-placed vineyard. He hoed the soil and pulled the weeds and planted the very best vines. He built a lookout, built a wine press, a vineyard to be proud of. He looked for the vintage yield of grapes, but for all his pains, he got garbage grapes. Now listen to what I'm telling you, you who live in Jerusalem and Judah. What do you think is going on between me and my vineyard? Can you think of anything I could have done to my vineyard that I didn't do? When I expected good grapes, why did I get bitter grapes? Well now, let me tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll tear down its fence and let it go to ruin. I'll knock down the gate and let it be trampled. I'll turn it into the patch of weeds, untended, uncared for, thistles and thorns will take over. I'll give orders to the clouds, don't rain on that vineyard ever. Do you get it? The vineyard of God of the angel armies is the country of Israel. All the men and women of Judah are the garden he was so proud of. He looked for a crop of justice and saw them murdering each other. He looked for harvests of righteousness and heard only the moans of victims. And here's the great shift. A green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots a budding branch. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him, the spirit that brings wisdom and understanding the spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances, won't decide on the basis of heresy. He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice, his words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll put on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. Isn't that beautiful imagery? 
How fortunate are we that we have beautiful scripture to lean upon throughout our days. As Pastor Rob noted last uh, week during his very powerful sermon, he noted that many times we assume that the God of the Hebrew Bible is a God of wrath and that the God of the New Testament um, is the God of love and kindness and grace. And yet, Pastor Rob reminded us, and I'm doing the same today, that that's really not true because in the Hebrew Bible, we actually see not only the consequences that come to the people when they are disobedient to the Lord, but we also see the consequences of God's love for the people because God does not give up. And we clearly just saw that in both versions that you just heard from Isaiah. We hear how um, the consequences to the people's disobedience came to be and also the very clear consequences later of when God doesn't give up to them. And uh, we see Isaiah is prophesying that a messenger will come to save them. And we know that that messenger is Jesus Christ. Well, you've heard me talk a lot about my family already, but today I wanna to talk about another part of my family that I don't always mention, and that's my wonderful abuelita, who went by the name of Nani, and my grandpa. They're my mom's parents. Well, my grandmother, she was only five foot tall at the most, and my grandpa was at least 6'2". And for a Mexican man, that was very tall. And they looked kind of funny together, as you could imagine. She was very short and he was very tall. Well, my grandmother, she was the kind that ruled the house. And you knew when Nani, barely five foot, was happy or sad because it was all out there for you to see. Well, Nani, however, showed much tenderness when she took care of her grapes. And these grapes were up high, hanging up high on these rafters that were right on the side of their house. And I remember thinking, how can my short little grandma get to these grapes? She wasn't gonna climb up on a ladder. She wouldn't have taken that chance, although she might have wanted to, but I don't think my grandpa would have let her. So I asked my mom, Mom, how did Nani take care of those grapes when they were so up high? She said, well, my dad, she incorporated your grandpa to help her take care of those grapes. Well, every time we would visit them in their home in Mexico, she was so proud to show us her grapes. And look how good my grapes are, are yielding and they taste so good. Here, have some mijita and we would have to eat some whether we wanted to or not. And yes, they're so good, Grandma. But I just realized that the, the secret to the success of her grapes wasn't just her love, but also that she incorporated the help of my grandpa, and together they were able to tend to these grapes. It reminded me of what we just read, because when 
we love something or someone, we make sure that we tend to it as best as we can, don't we? And if we can't do it ourselves, we get someone to help us, don't we? We do it until we feel that that thing or group of people or person have been tended to the best way possible. And those are all things to be proud of. Well, as we heard in scripture, God saw that even though God had given his people all that they needed to grow and to prosper in a way that was pleasing to God, that did not happen. And why didn't it happen? Because they forgot to take care of themselves and each other. Instead, the scripture says that they focused on injustice, on violence, and even murder. The scripture has helped me through this week as I continue to see the images on television of the atrocities that are happening around the world, especially the Ukraine and Israel and Palestine. We may be tempted, friends, to forget that God is still a God of love and justice. We tend to believe that God must have forgotten that part of the world, or God must be asleep or, or just not available. Doesn't God see the sadness, the violence that is occurring? Closer to home, we ask, doesn't God see the craziness happening in Congress? Doesn't God see this ongoing ad nauseum issue of a past president who doesn't want to give up power and is now ramping up hateful rhetoric against certain people? Where is God in the midst of all of this is what we're tempted to ask, and I am too. Where is God when someone we love has just received a difficult medical diagnosis? Where is God when we're searching for that new job and that new job just doesn't come up because we've aged out of the group that they are really interested in? Or we didn't finish that degree that they want? Where is God when our aging parents need and require more help, but we can't give it to them anymore. We are fresh out of ideas, and they need a different kind of attention. Where is God? Where is God when nothing around us makes sense anymore? Because the world seems out of control. But notice, friends, that the answer in the scripture text of today, God is not an absent God. God is saying, when you work with me in partnership with me, things go well. When you forget about me, when you forget about each other, when you only focus on yourself, guess what? Things aren't going to go well. They're gonna go horribly. We, people of faith, can sit by the sidelines 
and see the atrocities and hear about it on the news and, and worry about people that we love who are hurting, or we can step up to the plate, so to speak, and be the partners that God needs us to be. Now, if you're like me, I have wondered, well, if God is so great and God is so wonderful, why can't just God do whatever God wants? Why does God need me? I don't know. I don't know. Why would God need all of us as flawed as we are to do God's work? I do not know. But I don't think that's the question. I think what we need to do is focus on the answer. Somehow, God wanted us to be a part of God's work and ministry in the world. What a privilege and what a responsibility, isn't it? Now, I know that that might feel daunting to you and to me, and we could think, oh, we don't have the talents, we don't have the time, we don't have what it's needed to be God's partners. But that's not true. Because nowhere in Scripture does God require perfection. Nowhere in Scripture does God require titles and degrees. Nowhere in Scripture does God require that we look or act wonderfully all the time. No, God is in search of people who what? Who want to work towards God's justice and righteousness. Did you hear those words come up again and again in this Scripture? God was angry when there was no more justice. And then God wants to restore things by sending God's Son so that there can be righteousness and justice. Friends, we are called, as flawed as we are, as insecure, as, as doubtful, as scared sometimes, as weak, as old or as young or as chubby like me are, we are called, friends, to be in partnership with God and with one another. I went uh, a couple weeks ago to Minneapolis to be with a friend that you've heard about by now who had a very serious car accident. I flew in from here, my other best friend, the three of us grew up together singing in a choir. My other friend uh, flew in from Chicago. And we were, um, there to help my friend Rebecca because she has uh, been recovering from this very serious car accident. But we noted how because of our long relationship and friendship, we have really been able to be of support to one another and not only in our generation, but now we're helping with each other's children as well. And we know each other's backstories of our parents and our siblings and and we were just talking about what a rare and wonderful opportunity God has given us to really truly be there no matter where we have lived or what we've done with our lives to be there for one another. And we were asking ourselves, what is it when, how is it that people go through difficult times in their lives when they do not have a church family or a family of their own or friends who are like family to help them through those times. And we just thank God that we don't have to worry about that. But we were also reminding each other that as Rebecca is a pastor and so am I and Lorna is a psychologist that we are meant to continue 
this work of righteousness and justice with others, to do it with kindness, humility, to do so not giving up even when things get really hard. Going back to scripture, you'll notice that God didn't just warn the people of the consequences that would happen if they continue to forget to tend to one another's needs. But God also talks about the consequences of what God will do out of God's love. Therefore, despite their disobedience, God did not give up on them. Chapter 11 did begin with a sad manner. The tree is now down to a stump, it says, but then it becomes a word of hope, for God is now going to send a savior, Jesus, from the family line of David to right the wrongs. And so I have some questions for us, friends. How are we going to continue to nurture the soil that God has given us? How do we continue to nurture that soil with one another in order to tend for one another? How are we going to care for one another, perhaps in ways that are more radical than in the past? Perhaps it is time for us to vote differently, or perhaps it's time for us to allow someone with very little money to live with us. Perhaps it's time for our church to become a sanctuary church. Perhaps it's time for our church to continue being a warming center for homeless people. Perhaps it's time for our church to radically love one another because that is what God calls us to do. Friends, these words of justice and righteousness are not crazy leftist words. They're biblical words. And people of faith that we say we are need to be people of righteousness and justice. Let us do so, friends, with love, with kindness, with perseverance, knowing that God is with us along the way. Amen.